0: Welcome to Matt Noel Ministries Sermon Podcast. Feel free to download these sermons and share them with your friends and family. Thanks for listening. God bless. It's good to be in church, isn't it? It's very nice to see you. It's wonderful to have a sunny morning out there. God, we thank you this morning for your presence in this place, this humble building in Kitchener, Ontario. God, your presence is here. Lord, that can't be manufactured by the flesh. That can't be made up. We will never, ever make up your presence, God. We just want the genuine presence of Jesus. Lord, Jesus, when you ascended to heaven, you sent the Holy Spirit who is here, who's present with us. He's God in us and God with us. Thank you for that promise, Lord. Thank you that we never meet in vain here. Thank you that our labors here of worship and praise whether we're up at the front leading it or whether we're just worshiping you in in a chair, God, it's never in vain. You love when your people sing and praise you, Lord. You love it. It blesses your heart, God. Father, bless your word this morning, God. Lord, bless the word of the Lord this morning, I pray. Minister to hearts. Encourage your people, God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a vehicle like I do, you know eventually you start to hear a noise that means something's wrong under the hood. You're driving and you hear a noise and you know right away it's not good and you got to get it looked at, right? You've been there before? So you get on the phone and you call your heart surgeon and you book up an appointment with the heart surgeon to, uh, no, no, of course he wouldn't do that, right? Some of you are looking at, what are you talking about? Of course you wouldn't call your heart surgeon to book an appointment for him to look at your car. And the reason why is because the heart surgeon is not certified and not qualified to look at your car. He has no idea what to do with your car. If there's something wrong with your heart, he'll cut you open and he's certified and he'll, he you know what he's looking for. He, know what, he knows what the parts are under the hood of your, where your heart sits. But your car, he has no idea with because he's not qualified to do so. If you go to your dentist, you, you make sure that that dentist you are about to see and you are about to have open up your mouth and start working on your teeth, you make sure he's got a plaque on his wall <laughs> and that it says he's qualified to do what he's about to do. Amen? Yeah. You, got, you, you need to make sure. And in the natural realm... It is important that surgeons are qualified to do heart surgery, that dentists are qualified to open up your mouth and pull out your teeth. And the reason why is because they have gone through the training and the testing and they've learned how to do it, they've learned what's involved in those operations. If you go to your auto mechanic, he better have the same certificate saying he's certified in auto mechanics because he's studying and he knows how to fix your vehicle. In the natural, that's necessary. In the, in, in the spiritual, in the things of God, for you to be qualified to do something that he's called you to do does not require a certificate you don't need a plaque on your wall saying that you are qualified by God to do such and such a ministry or to have such and such a gift. When God calls a man or a woman to do something he wants to do in you and through you, it is God and God alone that qualifies you, that gives you everything you need. You don't need a paper on your wall. Now, I'm an ordained minister. I have a paper in a frame at home. It's not on a wall. It's somewhere under some papers, I think. But I have that that certificate, okay? Now, listen. I'm honored to be ordained. I'm honored that an organization has recognized that God's hand is upon my life and that I'm called to the ministry. That's an honor. and And by law, I need to have those credentials in order if I ever... Have the the opportunity to do a wedding or a funeral, I couldn't do that legally if I didn't have that certificate and those credentials. But you better believe that I could preach the Word of God with a paper or without a paper. And at the end of the day, that paper means really little to me. And the reason why is because I know that God has called me to certain things, and I'm confident in that, and He's He's gifted me and trained me. Oh, has he ever trained me? And oh, is he ever still teaching me a lot? I've certainly not even come close to being arrived, nor will I ever. I think the Apostle Paul said that somewhere. But I know that God is working on me, and I know that he has, he has qualified me to do what he has given me to do. And I don't need man's approval to be confident in that. Amen? Amen this has been the case in all of scripture. You know, you've probably heard that saying that God doesn't call the equipped, but he equips the called. And it's kind of cliche, a little bit cheesy, but it's very true. Is it not? God is not in heaven looking down and saying, Dan Hainer, Do you have any scanning you to make sure you have all these, does he have these qualifications? Will my heavenly sensor in heaven beep if if he meets the 10 qualifications? No, No, he's not doing that. What God is doing is he's looking at Dan's heart. He's looking at my heart. He's looking at your heart and your motives and your humility and your faith. And he's seen the areas that need to be tweaked and he's saying to you in certain areas, in certain ways, that I, God Almighty, have qualified you to do this. And he equips those who are called by his perfect will. God has a perfect, sovereign will. Do you believe that? Whether you're 75 or whether you're 14 years old, it doesn't matter. God specifically has a wonderful plan and purpose that he is going to equip you to do it perfectly. Perfectly. He's created you physically, knit you together in your mother's womb for a perfect reason so that you can do and fulfill exactly what he's qualified and called you to do. Do you believe that? Now, an Old Testament account of God calling somebody who was unqualified, most of us are familiar with this, is Moses. We know that Moses was a shepherd at one point in his life for many years, and God came to him in the burning bush, and said, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh back in Egypt, and I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. I've heard their cries from heaven. I want you to go and do, this is your will. This is my will for you to do. This is your calling, Moses. And Moses immediately said, okay, Lord, yes, I'll go. (laughs) Thank you, Cheryl. She's nodding her head. No. No, no, it wasn't like that. But Moses said a lot, but we're not going to get deep into it. But one thing I want to read to you that Moses said is this to God. This is God speaking to him. He, he knows it's God. He's speaking to him through fire. There's no, there's no like uncertainty. Lord, is this you? And Moses says in Exodus chapter 4 verse 10 and 11, Moses says to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and of tongue. Moses had a speech impediment. He wasn't confident in the way that he could talk. Maybe he stuttered. Maybe he mumbled his words. Maybe he had a lisp. I don't know, but he was not confident in his speech. And he tells this to God. And the Lord says to him, Moses, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And then he says, now go. Go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Moses was not qualified to go and speak. Pharaoh, let my people go, says the Lord. He'd be stuttering all out. Pharaoh would start laughing at him. (laughs) Sorry, what'd you say? Repeat that, boy. He wasn't qualified in his natural being. But God says, you're going to go and I am going to qualify you. I am going to do everything you need in order to do what I've called you to do. Amen? And so eventually, Moses finally went and did what God called him to do. God qualified him. He didn't have a certificate saying his speech impediment is fixed. He's qualified to go and do this now. God says, no, I qualify you. You are right in my sight. You are the man for the job. Now go, I will be with you. And I will give you words to say. And then we all know that he's, uh, he asked a bit more. And he said, okay, fine, take Aaron. Aaron can help you talk too. But nonetheless, God qualified Moses. Amen? We see in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 to 9. This is the call of the prophet Jeremiah. And right off the top, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Be- Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. And I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. There it is. That's God's plan for Jeremiah. Before you were even born, I knew you. I knew what I was going to do in you and through you. And I've appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah says, thank you, Lord, I'll go. Right? Wrong. He says, Lord, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. And I'm too young. So he's like Moses, but he's the younger version. Uh, I can't talk. I don't know what to speak, Lord. And I'm also too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone that I send you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. And then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over the nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Again, this young man was not qualified to speak to the nations. He wasn't in the natural. But God says, yes, you are. And God Almighty reached down and qualified him in the spiritual realm. And he touched his mouth and he, and he empowered him to do what he was called to do just like he will empower you and I to do what we are called to do. In our weakness, his strength is made perfect. God qualified Jeremiah. A woman in the Old Testament who is qualified by God. And this is a tough one. Not because it's a woman, it's just a tough one. But in Joshua chapter 2, they're going out to spy out the land of Jericho. And they send out two spies to spy out the land, and they're endangered by the enemy. Their life is threatened. And so we find that in Joshua chapter 2, they find themselves in the home of a prostitute. That does not look good on your resume. To be Where would you end up staying the night? Um, what do I say here? Oh, Rahab's house. The harlot? The prostitute? Yeah, yeah, that one. But nonetheless, according to God's word, they ended up in... A prostitute's house. And the enemy came in looking for these two spies of, that were doing the work of the Lord. And Rahab lied. They were saying, are they here? She said, no, they've, they've, they've moved along. And because her lie, they were then safe from being killed, and probably her as well, for hiding them. I don't want to get into the whole, the whole thing of like, oh, but lines is a sin. That's a whole other sermon, right, Pastor Mike? But nonetheless... It says in the book of Hebrews about Rahab in the New Testament that it was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So God was pleased with what she did. And then it says also in James chapter 2, verse. 21 through 25, don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together, and his actions made the faith complete. And then it says in verse 25, moving from Abraham, it says, Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them away safely on a different road. So two times in the New Testament, it's, it calls her righteous by her actions. And her certificate on her wall in her home said prostitute. God can change anyone. God can qualify anyone. He can take you from a point of filth and sin and ruin in your life. And he can rip down all those labels that the world has put on you. And he can say, now I qualify you for what I want you to do. Just like he did in these Old Testament accounts, and among many others, I'm sure. Amen? But it's God who qualifies his people. We find also in the New Testament accounts of God calling the unqualified. And just, you can read along if you want, but just listen up in Mark chapter 1, verse 16. This is the account where Jesus is going around, and he's... He's looking for his disciples. And it says in Mark 1, verse 16, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting the net into the lake because they were fishermen. And Jesus says, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people, the NIV says. More familiar, to make you fishers of men. And at once, they left their nets and followed him. Isn't that amazing? When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So Jesus goes to these men who were fishermen, and they were doing their job. This this was their job, this was their business. John and his, and his brother, along with their father Zebedee, had a business together. I don't know, Zebedee's Fishing. Welcome aboard. I don't know what it was called, but they also had hired men. And when Jesus called them, and he says, men, follow me. What you're doing is good, but I have a call on your life. I have something else I need you to do. I'm going to make you fishers of men. You're going to go and you're going to reel in men for the kingdom of God. And they immediately left what authority that Jesus has, amen? Amen. If somebody came up to me at my job, some man, and said, hey, Matt, come follow me. I'll make you a donut maker. I'd be tempted because I love donuts, but I wouldn't just leave. I wouldn't just say to my boss and, see ya, I'm going to make donuts, says the Lord. That would be foolish of me. But when Jesus shows up on the scene and says, listen, I see what you're doing. I know you're working hard, and I see that you're a businessman, but I got other plans in store for you. Come and follow me. And they immediately left and followed Jesus to be his disciples. These are the making of the 12 disciples. And then there's Matthew. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, Jesus went on from there and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Amazing, isn't it? Now, tax collectors were despised in those days. And I think they are still today. Am I correct? <laughs> They're not the most popular people in the world. But Matthew was a tax collector. And they were known to, to cheat people for their money. They would say, on paper it says, you owe $5. And they would say, you owe $50, pay up. And they would put five in and pocket 45. Things like that. They weren't the nicest people. In fact, they were also known by many people then, especially the ri- religious folks, they were, they were known as the same category as sinners. The Pharisees, the, the tax collectors and the sinners. And so Jesus says to the tax collector, come and follow me. And immediately he became a follower of Jesus and stopped cheating people and ripping people off. So the 12 disciples are gathered, and they follow Jesus throughout his entire ministry of three and a half years. And they see Jesus have mercy on people and grace towards people. They see Jesus heal people. They see Jesus do miracles, turn water into wine, and on and on. All they see his his deity, his power, his authority. They see it firsthand. His disciples as they follow him and they learn from him. And there was times as they followed Jesus, that there was times where Jesus would get frustrated with them. Have you ever frustrated Jesus before? That's an all, yes. I'm sure I frustrated Jesus before. I'm sure of it. But in Matthew 17, there's an account where a man approaches Jesus and says, Lord, have mercy on my son because he's suffering greatly. He was demon possessed, his son. And he says, it says in Matthew 17, I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. And Jesus' response was this to his disciples. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus said. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. And Jesus set the boy free. And like a father who loves his children, dad loved me growing up, but he said it, children can also frustrate their parents. Amen? And despite their unbelief and their foolishness and their their ability to frustrate Jesus, they were still called by him. Do you see that? Despite your weakness, despite the way that you might struggle with doubt at times or unbelief at times or a particular battle with a sin or whatever it might be, despite that, you are called by God. When you stumble, it doesn't mean your calling is removed. When my children rebel against me in a way, they're going to be disciplined with a consequence, but they're still my kids, and I'm still their dad, and I'm still going to provide for them and enjoy them and have that relationship with them. So despite the way that his disciples frustrated him at times and the way that I frustrate him at times, There's still a calling that God has on your life and on my life. Because the Bible teaches us that, in Hebrews, that Jesus, our high priest, understands our weaknesses. And it's our weaknesses that can cause us to act out in our flesh. It's our sin nature that can cause us to act out in our flesh. But we are still called by God. And we are still qualified by God in his great love and mercy, to do what he's called us to do. Do you believe that? Psalm 103, verse 13, says, as a father, 13 to 14, says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, and he remembers that we are dust. What a merciful God we serve. When I was 21 years old, Cindy and I were almost married for a year. And we had an awesome apartment together. We had a fish tank and an orange cat named Jabber. And we were just enjoying newlywed life, working full-time, both of us, paying bills, making paychecks, sleeping in on Saturday mornings. And we were just enjoying this new life together that we know God brought us together to enjoy. And I remember one morning... On a Saturday morning, Cindy was still sleeping, and I got up a little early just to spend some time in prayer. And back then, my times of prayer with the Lord were a lot different than they are today. And they were very um, simple, very childlike, very just nothing fancy, no fire coming down from heaven, no nothing. Like it was just, It was just, dear Lord, it was basically... God is good. Thank you for this food. Whatever that one was, God is great. It was basically that there, but my heart was sincere, and I wanted, I wanted to make sure I was leading my wife right and making sure I was putting God first as a, a new married man. And so I was up praying. Very, very simple. I, I wasn't even thinking of this. I wasn't even praying for it. This wasn't even a thought on my mind, and out of nowhere, God gave me a vision. And if I'm correct, I don't think I've ever had a vision like this ever again since that time, and it was literally like a vision, like a, like a movie screen appeared, and it was the craziest thing, and I knew, I said, first of all, I said, I don't think I had pizza last night, so I think, I think that's off the table, but immediately, I'm like, this is God, and he showed me a vision of me being a youth pastor, and then the vision switched to me being a pastor, and I, when that was over, it was just a minute, when that was over, I remember I woke up Cindy, I, honey. This crazy thing happened, and I told her what had happened. And we were both really, she was probably initially mad. What are you waking me up for? But then as the Holy Spirit came upon her, she probably realized, this is, this is God here. So we both knew right away that this was God, and God was speaking here. And I immediately talked to my dad about it. I told him what had happened. And I said, Dad, I feel like God's calling me to be a pastor, to be a youth pastor, or something. I don't know, it switched, I don't know, like, but I know God spoke to me. And I tell you, I, and he said, go talk to your pastor, Pastor Ken Miles at KW Christian Fellowship. I went and talked to him, told him what I had felt, and it, it um, confirmed in his spirit this was of God. And he sat down with my wife and I and just said, I feel that God's calling you here. And two weeks later, I was, we were leading the youth ministry at his church. Out of, out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. I didn't know what I was doing. My first youth night, I had, no joke, I'm not joking, I had a, probably 30 pages printed out of a, of a message to give these youth. And boy, oh boy, I knew this was going to be a life-changing word. Oh, God was going to use this. And I, and I went in there, and I read through those notes, didn't look at one youth the whole time, just read through the notes. And five minutes later, I was like, now what, Lord? <laughs> but God began to show us what he was calling us to do and he began to equip my wife and I and we began to realize we had a heart for worship and so we said can we sing on the worship team so we both had a microphone right in the back of the stage everyone else was out front right he put us out back and we're just sitting there singing doing what we can but we because we knew God was stirring something up here A short time later, I strapped on on a guitar. I knew one chord and I said, I could play the one chord for Jesus. And I began to play. And then Wednesdays, my pastor got me doing some teaching on Wednesday nights. And little by little and month by month and year by year, God's equipping and God began to gift us and reveal gifts to us and help us and show that he has qualified us for ministry. And that's us. And you have your own story. You have your own gifting and calling that he wants to qualify you and that he has qualified you as you do it by faith little by little little by little and that was our story and that's how we started and you know what a lot of times when people know they're being called to the ministry or pastoral ministry they feel initially like they need to go to bible school and there's nothing wrong with that and that's actually a good thing to do to to learn the bible yeah that's a great thing but that was never my calling. I've never been to Bible school before. But God began to take me on a journey that led us up to Aurelia. And I was just—I feel like I was just thrown into this preaching. And we just began to learn together. My wife and I, I remember in Aurelia, God began to teach us how to pray. Because there was this spiritual warfare that we never experienced before. So I remember he began to teach us how to pray and how to intercede. And what ministry really was and how it was about people and how, how the enemy wants to divide. And all sorts of things he began to teach me and teach Cindy. We call it the school of the wilderness. That's just the way that God decided to take me. And if I'm honest with you, there's times I battle with feeling unqualified to do this. Because a lot of ministries would want nothing to do with me because I don't have papers saying I went here and studied here. And that's fine. If that's how they want to do it, that's fine. And I understand that. But let me tell you that we don't need that paper for God to use us, church. You know what he wants? He just wants a willing heart to say, God, in all of my fear and trembling and weakness, here I am. What do you want to do in me? here I am. And so here we are. Amen? Doing what God has called us to do, knowing that he has qualified us. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. God has proven that true to me and Cindy time and time again over the years. We're going to close shortly here, but I want us to look peter for a few moments and peter was one of those fishermen that jesus said follow me and peter obeyed and peter was quite the character we we understand through scripture and we know that jesus said to him um, before jesus was crucified that you're you're gonna deny me and peter was so sure that he wouldn't deny him And no, Lord, I'll die. I'll go to prison with you. I'll die with you. No, I won't deny you. And then sure enough, he denied him three times. We know that. And then Jesus, after his resurrection, restored Peter. Do you remember that? He restored him. Why? Because Jesus was calling Peter to be a mighty pillar in in the early church that Christ was going to build. And so Peter totally failed and totally dropped the ball. And could you imagine being Peter, having to have Jesus die, knowing that you denied him before he died? Now it's too late. My Savior's dead. But then Jesus, in his love and mercy, resurrected to life and came to Peter and was tender to him and restored him to ministry and relationship. How awesome is that? And we find in Acts chapter 3, that Peter and John are walking and there's a man who's lame and he's asking for money and Peter and John don't have money to give and the man wants money and Peter and John look at him and say, hey, look at me. We don't have money to give to you but what we do have, we give to you. By the authority of Jesus, be healed, get up and walk. And you know that he was healed, right? He stood up and he was jumping for joy and he was walking. And he was healed under the ministry of Peter and John. And people see this lame man and they're amazed because this man was sitting there day in, day out asking for money. And now they see this man healed, walking around. And people are astounded, the Bible says. They're amazed at what they see. And Peter wants no credit for it. Peter knows and recognizes this has nothing to do with me at all. And he begins preaching and declaring the gospel. If you read it in Acts chapter 3, you need to repent of your sins. This Savior, Jesus, that you crucified and he rose back to life, it is Jesus that healed this man, not me. It is Jesus. And you need Jesus. And he began preaching the gospel in this account. And the story continues in Acts chapter 4, verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. And they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And so they seized Peter and John. and Because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. And then verse 7 says, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this for the healing of this man? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, by whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone salvation is found in no one else for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved and when they saw the courage of peter and john they realized then that these were unschooled ordinary men and they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with jesus god did a miracle through peter and john and god can still do miracles today and i believe I believe that when Peter, after he was restored, he knew his emptiness apart from Christ. He knew his sinful nature apart from Christ. Do you recognize yours? Do, we, do I recognize mine? Do we recognize our flesh is evil and wicked? And that it's the Holy Spirit inside of us that makes us righteous and keeps us in line? If we follow our flesh today, if we, if, if we had for the next 12 hours, the Holy Spirit removed and his conviction and his voice, and we had our flesh and the, the pleasures and the lusts of our flesh take over for the next 12 hours, every one of us would do things that we would be like appalled by, I'm sure, because our flesh is sinful. Sinful. And I'm sure that Peter realized this in the the early church, in the early times of the book of Acts there, that apart from God, I can do nothing. And his humility and his emptiness of himself allowed Jesus and the Holy Spirit to have more availability to use that man. And that's why he had that childlike faith to say, I have no money, but what I have you, I know Jesus can heal you. And that's why the Lord could use that man. Because God qualified Peter to do what he was called to do. Despite his failures. Despite his mistakes. Despite his feelings and what people said. And his circumstances. Jesus said you are qualified. And after this miracle, some people rejoice. But other people are mad and they throw them in jail. Who do you think you are? I think I'm nothing. This is the work that Jesus did through me. And after that, they continued to preach the gospel through the Book of Acts, and the Holy Spirit was moving out at, doing wonderful works and wonderful things. But it's amazing there, as we read here, in Acts four, that when they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized these were unschooled, ordinary men. You need to know that this morning. That the apostles, the disciples, the Bible characters, they were just men and women. No different than us. The Bible talks about Elijah who like called down fire from heaven and destroyed the the bad guys. The false prophets of Baal. And he had such intimate fellowship with God. And then it says in the New Testament about Elijah that he was just a man like you and I. God can use anybody. Doesn't matter your past. Doesn't matter your present. What matters is that right now you say, Lord, empty me. I just want to be emptied of myself, that I can just have all that you want for me. At my job, that Jesus would shine through me to my coworkers, to my bosses, to the customers in my family that people would see Jesus in me. Listen, not preaching, not legalism, not shoving it down their throats, not self-righteousness, not taking your Bible to the work office and slamming it on your desk and saying, I'm a Christian. Believe that. That's just gonna push them away. Don't be unloving about Jesus. Just be yourself. Be humble. Smile. Smile be happy. Let the joy of the Lord shine through you on a Monday morning. Amen. And they saw that these were ordinary, unschooled men, and that they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That is the absolute key right there in your life and in my life. It's not primarily more education or more Bible memorization. This literally just popped into my head. My dad shared with me a, a while ago. It made me laugh hysterically. But on his job, growing up as a boy, he worked early mornings, and he worked alone. And he drove in a work truck to different properties to do his job. And he said he was so hungry for God that, this is probably back in the late 80s, early 90s probably, he was so hungry for God while he was alone in his work truck that at home, when he was not at work, he would shut the door and say, Julie, don't bug me. Kids, stay away. And he, would, and he would open his Bible and put his cassette tape in the recorder, and he would record the red button. And he would start to read scripture and record it in his voice. And, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only, and he, and he began to record the scripture, so that he could play that tape and listen to scripture out on the job. And then he said he realized that they sold tapes with the entire Bible already <laughs> recorded on it. And that saved him a whole bunch of time. <laughs> but listen, he just wanted to be with Jesus. We're going to close here momentarily, but I have a few, a few tips, a few ideas words of wisdom, things that will help you as we close this message, okay? Maybe let's stand together. We're going to close in a moment here. God does have a call on your life. Do you believe that? Listen, if he can take fishermen and a filthy, no-good sinner of a tax collector and use those men and women like Rahab and change the title over their name from prostitute and tax collector to what he's called them to do, following Jesus, if he can do that in them, and if he can, out of nowhere, to a young 21-year-old who who was a wood finisher, not even considering ministry, and he can call me and show me something, he can certainly do it for every one of you. And it doesn't mean you have to start striving for it And, you know, maybe I'm not praying right. Maybe I need to go on my knees at home and fold my hands. I don't know. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. No, you're not doing anything wrong. Just keep waiting and asking him, Lord, what do you want me to do? What is the call of God on my life? What have you qualified me to do? Does not matter your age? Does not matter your feelings? Just say, Lord. And so, number one, first most important thing that you and I must do daily is spend time with Jesus. These men were amazed that these guys who were doing these miracles and preaching the gospel with boldness and authority, they weren't amazed because, wow, the words they said were so eloquent. Oh, boy, they were impressed by their education. It wasn't that. They were amazed. Why? Tell me. Because these were uneducated Ordinary men who had been with Jesus. So number one, spend time with him. Whether you say words with him or not, whether you just listen to him or whether you talk, just be in his presence. Number two, right now, where you are right now in your life, help where you can. Serve Jesus where you can. Dan's serving on the PowerPoint screen this morning. Others are serving in other areas, putting the offering envelopes on chairs. However you want to serve Jesus, greeting at the door, whatever, do what you can now. Start now. Because once you start, you've started. If you don't start, then you haven't started. So start now. Do what you can. Darlene strapped the guitar on this morning. Maybe in some weakness and trembling, but look at... Look at the way the Lord used the worship team this morning. Because it is in our weakness. It is in our weakness. I can't tell you enough. I woke up this morning having no idea what I was going to preach this morning. Like, zero. I did not know. And so what do I do? www.findmeasermon.com maybe or do i say jesus i don't know what i'm doing you've called me to do this god help me so we spend time with jesus we help where we can now we stay committed to what god's given us to do now do you know how important that word is commitments showing up being there can i say what a blessing it is When you people show up to worship corporately together, to serve the Lord together, it is such a blessing. Thank you. God is pleased. Your labors are not in vain. And then lastly, spend more time with Jesus. Amen? So we're going to worship God with who you say I am. Make this your prayer. God, If you you feel, if you know maybe what God's called you to do and maybe you're not doing it, maybe you're struggling to get started, maybe you're confused, maybe you need to know. This morning as we sing this, I'm chosen by God with a specific call on your life. Do you believe that? You're not forsaken. You might feel it this morning, but you're not. You're chosen by God and he's qualified you. Thanks for listening to Matt Noel Ministries Sermon podcasts. I trust you were blessed by today's episode. We'll see you next time. God bless.